950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We are live on a Friday afternoon. Brett Johnson along with Eric Nelson and also Patrick Lilia, who I just heard did his first ever weather forecast. Listening intently, I did not hear any mistakes. So there you go, Patrick. No pressure on that, right? <laughs> nope, all a piece of gun. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Hey, we're at 952-946-6205. Open phone lines all hour if you'd like to give us a call. So as you may have heard in the top of the hour newscast, it is Nancy Pelosi who is announcing that as soon as next week, she might be sending those articles of impeachment to the Senate. And ah, I'm not a fan of that strategy. At least hold on to those articles through the State of the Union, because I just feel like you could get the president so distracted during the State of the Union address if he still had impeachment hanging over his head. It would just be kind of fun to watch for entertainment value. Also, speaking of entertainment value when it comes to impeachment, well, we'll get to that in a second. But first, Susan Collins, of course, the main senator who is one of the so-called moderate Republicans, says she is working with a fairly small group of senators to ensure that there will be a resolution allowing witnesses at a possible impeachment trial. And here goes back to the entertainment angle, and I know our uh, buddy Eric is going to be with me on this. If I'm a Democrat, I would work any sort of angle where, all right, Republicans, uh, if you allow us to bring in our one key witness, I don't know who it would be, whether you want to pick John Bolton, although I don't think he would necessarily be the best witness, or anyone else that you want. If you allow us to do that, then you guys get to bring in Hunter Biden. Man, I so want to see Hunter Biden testify at a Senate trial just because of the entertainment factor and also... I could actually picture him doing a fairly good job just because I think the perception would be from a lot of people, why exactly is he testifying? He doesn't really have anything to do with the Trump impeachment trial. And he's also just kind of a, I don't know, I, I've read more about him, Eric. I'm kind of with you. He's a guy that I'm kind of drawn to. He just kind of does his own thing. And yeah, I, I like him. What about you in there, Eric? Looks like you're ready to chime in. Yeah, I think Hunter Biden's great. Everything I hear about him, every time they interview like a stripper that he had a crack party with, they all love him. <laughs> exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing who, who the Democrats should call up as a witness is Jared Kushner. It's the perfect example mm-hmm. of the equivalent where it's like, why does this guy have this position? He's not in any way qualified for it, and yet you put him in charge of so much of the Middle East peace talks and stuff. Yeah, he's about as relevant to an impeachment trial as Hunter Biden, so that's not a bad idea. Yeah, bring Jared Kushner in there. Wow, that would certainly make for some uh, good TV ratings. And going back to what you're talking about with Hunter Biden into very uh, odd and uh, not exactly uh, moral activities, including seeing strippers, you would think the president would actually like him. Being that Trump back in the day wasn't exactly the most moral guy when it came to uh, activities with women, among other things. So... We'll see what happens next week if we do indeed have that impeachment trial. I'm still thinking, though, Nancy Pelosi should be holding on to those articles and waiting through the State of the Union address. And I talk about the entertainment factor when we talk about impeachment because we obviously know how things are going to turn out. He's going to get acquitted. There's no doubt about that unless you get some sort of actual bombshell, which I don't think you would actually even get Republicans to vote for a conviction in that case even as Trump talked about during his 2016 election when he could go out and shoot someone on Park Avenue and people would still vote for him. Yeah, I'm not even sure there could be a smoking gun that would actually get him out of office. All right, enough impeachment, though. Let's head to the news of today, and I want to spend this first segment talking about voting rights because I have some good news and some bad news to pass along to you regarding voting rights around the country. Now we're going to start off with the bad news in Kentucky. So a little background, obviously, in Kentucky last month, or I think it was actually back in November, which would make it two months ago. But anyways, Democrat Andy Bashir won a closely watched election, which was a landmark blue win in a mostly conservative state. And one of the promises he made after he won was that he planned on restoring the voting rights for 140,000 people who were convicted of felonies. Because in Kentucky, if you're convicted of a felony, well, you lose your voting rights. He actually took executive action to restore their voting rights. Of course, the GOP, not too happy about that in Kentucky, so they took matters into their own hands. So what exactly did they do? It's voter ID on steroids, essentially. 
If you thought you couldn't make voter ID any worse, well, the Kentucky Republicans actually found a way to do that. So what Kentucky did was, of course, they already require a voter ID, but this new policy would actually take it a step further and require a photo and an expiration date or a second set of identification. So obviously, I don't know what exactly this extra provision would actually stop because often when you hear about voter ID, Sometimes you hear the argument saying, well, it'll stop people from voting twice. Well, think about that for a second. How would having a voter ID actually stop someone from voting twice? All it does is stop voter impersonation, which we have almost zero cases of actually happening around the entire country. And also even talking about voter impersonation, let's say you were to actually try that. Like, let's say I'm Brett Johnson and I want to go to Lakeville or Burnsville or Prior Lake or somewhere else and say that I am Eric Nelson and I'm going to try to vote. Well, I would need a bill showing that I am Eric Nelson. And then, of course, I would also be facing the punishment of uh, jail time if I were to be caught. The costs definitely outweigh the benefits of actually trying to conduct a voter impersonation scheme. And also regarding this idea as well, I like going back to the voter ID debate, something that I'm trying to remember if this was Steve Simon or it might have been Mark Ritchie. It was one of the Minnesota Secretary of States. I think it was actually... Uh, Mark Ritchie that had a proposal which basically talked about having an idea and I'm kind of paraphrasing this so feel free to call in if I'm not saying it quite correctly if you remember this back in like 2010 2011 or maybe even into 2012 he came up with an idea which was actually a compromise that would still have some form of photo identification but it wouldn't require you to have an ID essentially the system if I am remembering correctly was that as soon as you registered to vote at your polling place you would have a picture taken of you and then you would be added to a statewide database so then the next time you go and vote they have your picture on file and they can tell if you're trying to impersonate someone else that was a compromise that Mark Ritchie again the former Minnesota Secretary of State I believe came up with like in 2011 and 2012 and it largely would have solved this voter ID issue, but of course it actually went nowhere. And fortunately here in Minnesota, we ended up voting down that voter ID amendment back in the 2012 decade, or 2012 election rather. But getting back to the point again, Kentucky, this voter ID bill on steroids where you now need an expiration on your ID or a second form of identification, <laughs> almost like trying to board a plane to actually vote in Kentucky. Also in voting rights news, this is out of Iowa, and this is kind of related again to felon voting. So Iowa is still one of those states where you can, if you have been convicted of a felony, actually get your voting rights restored. However, you actually need the governor of the state to personally approve and restore your voting rights, which, if you think about it, that's very difficult to do, being that the governor is typically a very busy person, and it also could be a very politically charged issue if you end up uh, restoring the vote the voting rights for someone who is not exactly popular in the community, maybe someone who was convicted of a heinous crime. But Iowa is making a push to have 330 people that are on a backlog of convicted felons trying to get Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa, who is a Republican, to restore their voting rights. All right, so that's kind of the bad news when it comes to voting rights. Let's go to some good news, though, and revisit a topic we touched on a few months ago here on the program. So a little background. We talked about how in Florida in November of 2018 in the midterm elections, Florida voters overwhelmingly decided to restore the voting rights of approximately 1.4 million people who were convicted of a felony, which would significantly have an impact on the voter rolls in Florida since people who are convicted of felonies in Florida typically are people of color, and people of color usually do vote Democrats. So Republicans in Florida weren't very thrilled about this when they saw that the state voters ended up deciding to restore felon voting rights. So what they did instead to try to combat this is they came up with what was called an amendment. I think it was Amendment 4. Actually, Amendment 4 was what restored the voting rights in Florida, but they came up with a supplemental bill, which basically kneecapped Amendment 4. This is a bill that actually forced anyone convicted of a felony trying to get their voting rights back to pay all fines and fees associated with their sentences before 
regaining their rights to vote. Now think about that for a second. If you're a convicted felon and you're just released from prison, chances are you're not exactly going to be leaving prison with really any money whatsoever to your name. And then you add to the fact that then you have to pay back all of your court bills and other associated legal fees before you get your voting rights restored makes it a very difficult situation. Now, there was a loophole within this law that basically said you could try to appeal to the state of Florida by saying you don't have the money to pay your legal fees and then you would be allowed to vote. But as Eric and I went through a few months ago when we talked about this, it was like a five-step process that you had to go through with all sorts of hurdles and hoops to jump through to actually get your rights restored. And as we talked about, very unlikely anyone would do that since it looked like a process that would take several weeks if not several several months to actually get through to try to go through all of that red tape. But here's the good news when it does come to these uh, voting rights in Florida and felons trying to get their rights restored. So when Republicans pass this bill saying that if you're a felon to get your voting rights restored, you have to pay back all your legal fees, there was a loophole put in this bill that Democrats are actually taking advantage of as well as civil rights advocates. There was a loophole in this bill that allows courts to modify the original sentencing in order to no longer require completion of the initial sentence. So to basically put this in layman terms, this basically allows courts to waive fines and fees imposed as part of a sentence. So basically, if you're released from prison, you're convicted of a felony. Technically, they say you actually have to repay all of your fines and your court fees to get your voting rights restored. Unless you use this little loophole and you go to court and they say, well, you actually have, they've actually said you've completed your sentence and you no longer have to pay these bills. By doing so, then you get your voting rights restored. So what's happened in Florida's four most populous states, counties, which are Miami-Dade, Broward County, Palm Beach, and Hillsborough, which, by the way, are heavily blue counties, they've come up with a system that's called rocket dockets. So again, reading from this article again from um, Mother Jones, to implement this section, Florida's four most populous counties have implemented rocket dockets, which in these four most populous states make up about a third of the state's population. They launched a program to identify individuals who owe fines and fees and fast-track their cases to the courts. A judge then waives their financial obligations, except for restitution to victims, and provides them with a court order declaring their sentences complete. And this order reestablishes their rights to vote. So, Four of these heavy blue counties actually set up what's called, again, rocket dockets, which basically says if you've been convicted of a felony, well, guess what? You no longer have to pay your court fees. They say they have been completed, again, with the exception of victim restitution, though. So glad to see they have found a little bit of a workaround in Florida around this law that the GOP passed that essentially would have nullified the vote of the citizens of Florida back in 2018 that said felons should have had their rights restored to vote. And by the way, I don't care if you've been convicted of a felony and released from prison, or even if you're a prisoner yourself, you should actually still have the right to vote. In fact, I would even make the argument if you're in prison, you're affected the most by what actually happens with decisions at state government and actually the federal government, too. I think you should still absolutely have your rights to vote if you're in prison. All right, let's head to the phone lines and talk to Rich in Minneapolis who wants to chime in about voter fraud. Hi there, Rich. What's on your mind today? Let's see if we got Rich with us. Rich, are you there? I think we got you now. Hey there, Rich. Hello, Rich. Can you hear me? Rich. Oh, I think I got him now. Hey, Rich, are you there? Yeah, are you there? Yep, there we go. Now I got you. Yeah, what's on your mind today, Rich? Well, another way of explaining that voter ID, voter fraud, would be to say if you were to go to the voter station to vote and they looked at the list and they said, I'm sorry, you already voted. And that has not happened yet in Minnesota. But if they get that voter ID passed, this, it would make, make getting it difficult for 180,000 Minnesotans, the elderly, mm-hmm. the students, the students and minorities. Huh, guess who they typically vote for? And that's another reason why I've said to you, Brett, Republican supporters and people who vote Republican, they don't vote for Republicans in spite of how bad they are. They vote for them because of how bad they are and the bad things that they do to and for minorities. 
It's that simple. To me, I've, you know, I'm, I'm an old man, and, I, and I've watched this happen my whole life. And that's what they are all about. They, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me. They had a focus group of Trump supporters, and, uh, and they were asking them questions. And one of them said to one of the ladies, the, the host said to one of the ladies, well, he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. And the, one of the ladies looked at her and responded, well, it depends on what he shot him for. <laughs> and a, a lady in front of her turned around and said, yeah, good answer. Well, you know, the way I look at it, they could shoot they themselves, and they would still vote for him if they didn't get lucky enough to shoot him in that little brain of theirs. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you definitely do run into that case sometimes. And thanks for your uh, call there, Rich, where, yeah, people are so much in love with whichever candidate they're voting for. And at least what we've seen over the past three and a half years, it's typically been with the Republican president where people will basically support him no matter what. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We're going to come back and talk about some local news, including gerrymandering possibly backfiring against uh, certain Republicans, as well as also a story about Governor Walls making this proposal that would put a dent into trying to solve the affordable housing crisis. We'll talk about those stories coming up next. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies companies. Any time is the right time to update your music collection, so stop in at the Electric Fetus and browse their massive selection. You'll find everything from rock and pop to international and roots, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Not only is Electric Fetus the best stop for music, but they also carry a wide and unique range of gifts. Bath products, clothing, books, stationery, candles, incense, you name it. That's the Electric Fetus at 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Tom Hartman here letting you know how you can go solar with all energy solar, even way up north in Minnesota. Lots of people ask them, isn't Minnesota too cloudy for solar? No. The truth? For one thing, Minneapolis gets nearly as much sun each year as Houston, Texas. But it isn't just about how much sun you get. It's also about having access to great local incentive programs that make solar affordable. Learn what your options are to save with solar and visit allenergysolar.com today. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. This week's featured idealist is college freshman and long-distance runner Rosalie Fish, who's bravely highlighting the missing and murdered indigenous women of America. The big interview is with Jessica Greb of Orchestrating Good with Racine, Wisconsin. And in my C-Block, I talk about how idealists don't ask for permission. Ellie 2.0 Radio, engaging and real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
So one of the big uh, reports that was released this week and put out actually on the public or the internet where you can basically find it, of course, is the Hoffler files, which were basically documents by this guy Thomas Hoffler, who was instrumental in Republican gerrymandering after the 2010 elections. Now, they talk about in these files, of course, how they basically tried to gerrymander by race, among other aspects, to try to increase the chances of Republicans winning in a number of districts through cracking and packing districts. But something key was actually written in that document by Hoffler that I think uh, might have been bissed by a number of people who actually gerrymandered back in 2010. So in this document, Hoffler actually basically puts out a warning, and he wrote this back in 2011, that the party should not get greedy in their attempt to create districts favorable to GOP candidates. And boy, has that actually been proven true because we've seen a number of states, including Ohio, that have put in measures that basically are now dictating that districts are now going to be drawn by an independent commission. Also, we've seen North Carolina districts, of course, being thrown out completely. In fact, the redrawn districts are expected to allow two extra Democrats to serve in North Carolina's congressional delegation. And we've also seen several other trifectas, which were basically unified Republican governments, be broken up by having Democrats elected as governors. Some of those states include Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and even Louisiana. So he might have been foreshadowing and people not heeding his warning within the Republican Party when he said, don't get greedy when it comes to gerrymandering, because obviously people have really paid attention to that topic over the past four to six years. And yeah, he was absolutely right in those files. And by the way, do recommend going and uh, taking a look at those. They are all posted online from his daughter, who, by the way, is actually an anarchist of all things. So check that out, the Hoffler files. You can just go ahead and uh, probably find those if you Google them. All right, let's get to a couple of local stories for today. So Governor Tim Walls po- proposed $276 million that would help towards affordable housing infrastructure. This would be in the proposed bonding bill that the legislature will deb- debate coming up in February. Now, among this $276 million that's being proposed by Walls would be $200 million in going to housing infrastructure bonds, $60 million to rehabilitate existing public housing, and $15 million in veterans housing improvements. Probably doesn't go far enough, but it at least is a start because we'll probably touch on this maybe on a future. So some of the reasons why I vote, there are three big issues that I always vote on and are reasons why I actually vote. One of them is the cost of health care. The other one is making sure I actually have some sort of savings when I eventually retire, or at least some sort of social safety net. The third issue I always vote on is affordable housing. And this is a topic that is never covered by either political party. In fact, I'm actually very disappointed in the Democrats when it comes to their presidential debates that there's not been one question about affordable housing at any of these debates. In fact, I can't even think of any instances where even the candidates brought this up themselves. And affordable housing is not an issue that's going away. In fact, I talked about this a few months ago on one of our programs, how there's basically this affordable housing program that affects a lot of rural America that was implemented back in the 60s and 70s that basically gave a number of builders tax credits to build affordable houses and affordable apartments. But basically, after they paid off their mortgage, which would happen after about a 30- or 4-year period, they could actually raise their rent to market rate. And the problem that's happening is that several of these affordable housing units that were built when this program was implemented are actually be are actually going to be reaching their maturity on their mortgage in the 2020s and even in the 2030s, which means in rural America, you could have a lot of these affordable housing units that are all of a sudden going to have landlords that are going to be able to raise their rents to market rate. Because again, when they originally got these rebates to build these affordable housing units, part of the deal to get those rebates was that they actually had to have uh, discounted rent for their tenants. But again, as soon as they were able to pay off their mortgage, 
no longer have to abide by that rule, and you can actually raise your rents to market rate. And this is going to be a huge thing that's going to happen in the 2020s and 2030s as several of these properties are actually going to be eligible to raise their rents to market rate, which is something that's kind of hidden among the political discussion that could have an especially big impact in rural America. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about some more bad news for rural America and also, well, just the country as a whole. There is some really bad data that comes to uh, how rural farmers are doing here in this country. We'll touch on that and more, but first, we'll get to the news from Public News Service. The Public News Service Fellow Newscast for January the 10th, 2020. I'm Mike Clifford. The House Thursday approved the Iran War Powers Resolution, an effort to restrain President Trump's ability to use military action against Iran without congressional approval. CNN reporting that vote comes with the support of three Republicans. GOP Reps Matt Getz and Francis Rooney of Florida, as well as Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, all crossed party lines to vote in favor of the resolution. CNN adds a measure which passed by a nearly party-line vote of 224 to 194 on Thursday evening goes next to the Senate. Conservation groups are pledging to push back against a new Trump administration proposal that calls for scaling back environmental review of large projects. Our Mike Moen reports states like Minnesota could see some harmful effects. The group Defenders of Wildlife warns the plan would rapidly accelerate large projects like oil pipelines and highway construction without an acceptable review of their carbon footprint. The group's Bob Dreher says it would allow developers of such projects to avoid public scrutiny that has long been a benchmark of the National Environmental Policy Act. These regulations significantly retrench um, on the mandate of, the, of that act in ways that will that at least put at risk um, that the public will not know about consequences, long-term consequences, really significant consequences of federal actions. The plan comes amid all the legal and regulatory wrangling over the proposed Line 3 oil pipeline in northern Minnesota. Dreher says highway projects in Minnesota could also come together more quickly that lead to increased traffic and harmful emissions without sufficient environmental review. The Trump administration says the move would eliminate red tape for projects that benefit the public. Outside of any legal challenge, there's a two-month window for public comment and starts when the proposal is published in the Federal Register, which should be today. Governor Andrew Cuomo's proposals for New York include ambitious goals for developing renewable energy and training a workforce to help make it happen. Andrea Sears reports for PNS. The governor's annual State of the State address emphasized the need to fight climate change and the importance of switching to clean, renewable energy. New York is committed to getting 70% of its electric power from renewables by 2030. Joe Martins, director of the New York Offshore Wind Alliance, notes the governor's proposals include a $170 million workforce development plan to train the workers needed to build and maintain clean energy infrastructure. This is great news, and it really is an example of looking ahead. This is preparing for the future, and it's going to mean keeping jobs in New York State. The proposal would invest an additional $40 million over the next five years to help train 40,000 clean energy workers. By the way, transportation is a leading source of greenhouse gas emissions in New York. Finally, our Eric Tegadoff tells us if they want more pets to find homes, pet adoption agencies should hit pause on words like buddy and companion in their ads. That's according to Oregon-based research. Dave Markowitz, an assistant professor of social media data analytics at the University of Oregon, looked at nearly 680,000 pet adoption ads and found that straightforward analytical language proved most successful. He says narrative-driven social language to describe pets can even hurt their chances of adoption. So anytime a pet was described as being cuddly or cute or a sweetheart, that actually can get away from the central issues that most pet adopters are really focused on, which is, is the pet healthy? Does it have all its vaccinations? Each year, about 1.5 million sheltered dogs and cats are euthanized because they were not adopted or had health problems. Uh, that's according to the ASPCA. I'm Mike Clifford for Public News Service. We are member and listener supported and we're online at publicnewsservice.org. Minnesota's appliance specialists are ready. We've competed and earned your business for over 70 years. And 2020 is going to be our best year ever. We're offering guaranteed savings on the world's top-rated appliances. We love helping you find just the right appliances and watching you smile as the savings add up. Then Warner Stellings delivery specialists make the hard work look easy with fast free delivery, basic installation, and free haul-away. Now through January 22nd, take advantage of 18 months interest-free financing. You'll love your new appliances and Warner Stellion. 
If you have a painting project, you should consider hiring Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. We've been awarded nationally for craftsmanship, are highly professional, responsive, and fairly priced. If you feel overwhelmed by starting a painting project, we make it easy from start to finish. We move furniture, vacuum, sweep, dust, and put your home back the way we found it. There is a difference. Our professionalism sets us apart. Visit N-I-C-K-S-L-A-V-I-K.com. That's NickSlavic.com to learn more. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for mostly cloudy skies today with a temp falling to about 9. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 1. Saturday, partly sunny with a high near 16. And Sunday, a chance for snow and a high near 23. Estate planning doesn't just create a plan for what happens after you die. It helps your loved ones care for you in the event of an accident or as you age. Get started today with Stroman Law in St. Paul. Call 651-571-2515 or visit shromanlaw.com. That's S-C-H-R-O-M-E-N law.com. Oh man, going back to that newscast, apparently if you're trying to adopt pets, pet adopters don't like words like cuddly and buddy. Who would have thought that? Apparently that was the recommendation in that uh, news article there is that apparently uh, shelters shouldn't be using those words when it comes to putting out ads for people to adopt pets. Never would have thought of that, but kind of does make sense when if you are adopting a pet, you probably do care more about their health and whether they have their vaccinations and such. So I guess you learn something new every day. All right, well, we'll move to the phone lines in uh, just a second, but do want to talk about this uh article that was just written actually got this out of the morning take that uh, had some comments from Lando Lake CEO Beth Ford who was talking about some really bad statistics in rural America when it comes to the economy because often we've heard from people who are Trump supporters they talk about how well the economy is doing how the Dow Jones is nearly at 29,000 points how black unemployment is at the lowest levels of all time and how wages have been rising for years and years when Actually, if you go back and uh, look at some recent studies about wage growth, wages, according to the Brookings Institute, have actually been falling since about January of 2019. We did see a very slight uptick in hourly wage growth during 2017 and 2018, but they've actually been dropping since January of 2019. But some of these findings that uh, Beth Ford actually made, and by the way, she's the Lando Lake CEO, so I'm imagining she's no big liberal, by the way. But she was reporting, these are some of the stats that she found. Rural job growth is rural gro- job growth, rather, easy for me to say, is less than half of the nationwide rate. So again, rural job growth, less than half of the nationwide job rate, which always has kind of struck me as being very ironic because these areas that typically did vote for Trump in 2016 are actually seeing less growth than the blue Democratic areas, which are seeing, I guess, okay job growth rates. But even with that, going back and looking at those hourly wage stats, those aren't exactly high-wage jobs that are being created. Uh, She also found that 19 million of the 24 million Americans that live without high-speed internet live in rural areas. So basically, 80% of people that don't have high-speed internet live in rural areas. Also, one in four children in rural communities live in poverty. That is an unreal stat. 25% of children in rural communities live in poverty. And also, nearly 45% of heart disease deaths are potentially preventable compared to 18.5% in urban areas. And also nearly 120 rural hospitals have closed since 2010. Another 430 are at risk as closing. And then there's a shortage of 40,000 doctors in rural America areas. But I guess the economy's uh, still doing great, according to at least some of the rhetoric we get, uh, not just out of the Trump administration, but even out of the corporate media as well. All right, we got full phone line, so let's go ahead and run those phone calls. We got Melanie in Minneapolis. Hi there, Melanie. Hey, um, I'm going to bring up some old business because it's such an important topic to me. Um, I hope you do follow up on getting a speaker on AM 950 concerning overpopulation. Mm-hmm. I, my name is Melanie, and I spoke yep, to you. Yep, I remember talking to you. Yeah, what else was on your mind today, Melanie? Um, now I'm going to be on topic, and I'm going to talk about um, voting. Mm-hmm. I just recently renewed my driver's license. And I learned that to fly, only to fly, we all will need a new, much more difficult-to-get form of ID Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I believe it's going to be as of October 1st, 2020. Yeah, and I actually saw a news piece written about that, how basically if you're trying to get that new real ID, it takes as long as two months in some cases to actually get that form of identification, which is very problematic if you That's right, and I guess I'm going to put in a feminist plug and say, gee, pity the poor woman who's been married and divorced and has all these different names from Mm -hmm. marrying and divorcing a lot because you have to have a paper trail of everything starting from your birth certificate. Mm -hmm. So... You have to start. The first document we all will need for that is our birth certificate. Right, exactly. And so if a woman married five times and divorced four times, but that's not, I mean, she has to have a paper trail of all of that. That Or a man changing his name. Mm -hmm. That is a lot to keep track of. And even expanding on your point, I remember when we were talking about the voter ID debate, how a lot of people don't even have birth certificates that are from older generations because, well, they were never issued at the time when they were born. So they're pretty much out of luck when it comes to get a photo identification. So if we can all put it on a bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, I can't resist my bumper sticker for overpopulation. Every person has a carbon footprint. Okay, that, okay. back to the topic at hand. Okay. The bumper sticker for voting is there is no, uh, let's see, I haven't formulated this, but there is no um, voter fraud. There is election fraud. Exactly, and there's a big difference between those two things, and I'm absolutely with you that there is election fraud, but definitely uh, not much voter fraud whatsoever. So thanks so much for the call there, Melanie. And we'll see if we can get Frank Luntz working with you there to try to come up with a slogan for what you were talking about for uh, bumper sticker politics. All right. Hey, Patrick, as a heads up here, we are going to go to uh, Brenda and Carver. Again, we're going to speak to Brenda and Carver, who wants to talk about uh, voting and Republicans. Hi there, Brenda. Hi, Brett. Um, I'm an election judge, and I'm a Democrat. And I I work directly with a Republican head judge, And I tell you what, I have seen more problems where the Republicans will try to skirt the rules, and the Democrats don't do that. I I don't understand. And you're talking about, like, Republican voters or Democratic voters? Is that what you mean? No, these are judges. Judges, okay. Hmm. And it it just, it's mind-boggling to me. I've had to call out the Republican head judge um, on an occasion, and there was another occasion where there was something that shouldn't have been done, but it was allowed to be done by one of the judges. And uh, it infuriates me that these people think that they can just go around the rules. I don't understand their mindset. We all go to the same training, all that, but yet they'll try to skirt around the rules. It's very frustrating. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you talk about that because often we hear when it comes to especially presidential elections, we hear these poll watchers that typically are Republicans. And as you bring up there, Brenda, oftentimes they actually don't even know the rules themselves. All right. appreciate That is a a serious problem Mm -hmm. that I wanted to bring up because Mm -hmm. here we are in 2020. There is no major voter fraud. I have never seen it other than someone that is a Republican that allowed something to happen that shouldn't have. And you working as an election person there, Brenda, I imagine it would be pretty easy to spot someone who is trying to impersonate someone else or vote twice because, as we had a previous caller bring up, well, it's pretty easy to go through the voter rolls and tell if someone's trying to actually vote twice. Well, and our township isn't that huge, and a lot of people know these people Mm -hmm. that are coming in to vote. So in our case, it's it's a little different than a larger community like the city communities and stuff like that where you wouldn't necessarily know the people. But anyway, I agree. There is not voter fraud. It's election fraud. <laughs> election fraud, exactly. And thanks so much for the call there, Brenda. And among the election fraud is a lot of these voting machines, as we've talked about on some previous programs that are very 
very hackable. In fact, there was that conference in, I think it was Las Vegas last summer, where they basically had, it was either high school or college students, I don't remember off the top of my head, that were actually able to hack in to a number of voting machines. And by the way, those were high school students and college students. Imagine if you actually got someone who was a high-paid professional on that task. Let's go uh, one more caller here, Patrick, before we go to break. We're actually going to go to uh, Reverend Jack in Minneapolis. Hey, Reverend Jack, been a while since I've hey, talked buddy. to you. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great here. How about yeah, you? Right on. I'm doing, I'm doing really well, as a matter of fact. So um, I'll make this quick. I just So I was just coming back. I just officiated a funeral down in Chaska, and, and the, the lady died unexpectedly, and uh, – her son lives in Colorado Springs, so he had to all of a sudden quick fly up here, which he wasn't planning on. So if he would have needed a couple of months to get a real ID to get on a plane, you know. But the other thing that I know is I've worked with um, – I used to work with homeless teenagers in Duluth a lot. And a lot of times, you know, when trying to get people established, stabilized, whatever, and they need ID. The thing is, if you want to get a photo ID, you generally need a birth certificate. Mm-hmm. But if you need a birth certificate, you generally need a photo ID to get your birth certificate you know that's a vicious circle uh, right there yeah yeah and and they're not cheap either getting you know getting the ids and the birth certificates are not cheap for folks that are struggling financially Mm -hmm. um and it just blows my mind that all the steps that republicans have taken to try to keep people from voting it's really sick as a matter of fact is what it is you know so i don't know that's my comment sir Thanks for listening. Hey, good to have you back on the program. Uh, Reverend Jack, call back anytime, my friend. And here's an interesting question I have if you're listening out there. Do you actually know where your birth certificate is? That's actually a really fascinating question. The percentage of people, not just in this audience, but everywhere around the country. Do you actually know where your birth certificate is? Boy, I don't even know where I'd even start on predicting what percentage of people actually know where their birth certificate is because you really would need that to actually get a photo ID, let's say if you lost your driver's license or your social security card or something like that. Hey, Mark, hang on the phone line. We're going to get to your phone call coming up on the other side of the break. We will have time for you, Mark and Fridley. But first, we got to get to Artbeat for the Week. For the week, I'm Elizabeth Orab, co-host of Connections Radio Show, and today I'll be letting you in on a couple of cool arts events you're going to want to attend in the Minneapolis area this Saturday evening. Tomorrow, Saturday from 7 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. at 1st Avenue and 7th Street entrance in Minneapolis, catch Happy Birthday Janice 2020, Inspired Women of Rock with Mae Simpson. Another magical year is on tap for all Janis Joplin lovers out there. This is the 13th annual Happy Birthday Janice, a tribute to the life and music of Janis Joplin with Mae Simpson Band. This year's theme, Inspired Women of Rock. They wanted to showcase amazing vocalists with a little twist this year. They each will share what made them fall in love with rock and roll and will perform a song that influenced Janice and them to become a vocal powerhouse on stage. Doors open at 7 p.m. Showcase is at 7.30 p.m. This is an 18-plus event with a $20 cover. Check out Facebook for more information on Happy Birthday Janice, a tribute. In case you're in the mood for some theater tomorrow night at 8 p.m., there's also the SmackDown 24-hour play festival at Stepping Stone Theater in Minneapolis. Theater Unbound is back for SmackDown, where six new plays will be written, rehearsed, and performed in just 24 hours with some of the Twin Cities' most badass female theater artists. Playwrights are given only a few script requirements, and then their creativity takes over. This event is always an exciting, interactive explosion of powerful female theater artists, new plays, and of course, audience prizes. City Pages has said about SmackDown, the resulting plays could crash and burn, turn out mind-blowingly awesome, or maybe a head-spinning combination of the two. Go to www.theaterunbound.com for tickets and to learn more about SmackDown 24-hour play festival at Stepping Stone Theater. That's Artbeat for the Week. I'm Elizabeth Horub, co-host of Connections Radio Show, airing live Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, Progressive Voice of Minnesota.
kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance companies. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. We're back on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota final segment of the program. So someone has a new lawyer in Minnesota. Everyone's favorite pillow guy, my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, has a new lawyer. Guess who it is? Doug Wardlow. Ah, remember Doug Wardlow, the former attorney general candidate from 2018 who basically uh, was accused of uh, bullying a gay student back when he was in uh, school. Yeah, Doug Wardlow, the new attorney for Mike Lindell. And if you remember, I made this Facebook post on our AM950 page, uh, maybe it was a little over a year ago, where they had this odd picture of Mike Lindell, Doug Wardlow, and Jason Lewis all sitting around a table. And we basically asked people to caption that photo for what you would call that triad of Mike Lindell, Doug Wardlow, and Jason Lewis. Unfortunately, some of those ideas I can't repeat on the airwaves, but... Maybe the triad is reuniting now that Mike Lindell has hired Doug Wardlow as his new lawyer. Still love to be a fly on the wall in that room when they had Lindell, Wardlow, and Lewis uh, sitting at that round table when they had that photo taken. All right, we got Mark in Fridley who has been waiting patiently. We'll give Mark the final word today. Hi there, Mark. Hey, guys. Hey, listen, I just want to point out everybody should be following Democracy Now! and their stories on Cambridge Analytica. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I know exactly about this, and this is much, much, much worse than anybody thought. They were using psychological weaponized information warfare against the American people. And this is exactly what I told Mark Dayton about in 2006. Al Franken knows about it. And let me give a heads up to Amy Klobuchar. You're next, because you knew about this, too, and you didn't do anything. Um, but your previous callers were, well, she did something. She actually protected the people that were involved in the surveillance, in the illegal surveillance. But the problem is, like you said, election fraud. It's not voter fraud. That's a political pe- uh, football to distract people away from the issue. The e-voting machines were hacked by high school kids in 10 minutes. That's the problem. Well, it was 10 minutes. Yeah, I knew they hacked those back in Vegas last summer, but it only took them 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. And it's privatized, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, what happens when we catch actual election fraud? That's a great question right there, yes. Mm -hmm. A Reagan election, October surprise. What Reagan did was he cut a deal with the Iranian governments and the uh, uh, drug cartels out of Central America to pull off a little stunt called Iran-Contra, where mm-hmm. they put drugs on the streets of the United States and with those profits paid for money for weapons to Iran so that they would delay the release of the hostages that would hurt Jimmy Carter. Nixon, 1968, promised to prolong the Vietnam War if the South Vietnamese president uh, would play ball with them. He was caught on tape. That's what Watergate was all about, because LBJ and Hubert H. Humphrey negotiated a peace treaty between the uh, Vietnam South and North Side, 
1968 that would have ended the Vietnam War. Who went to jail for that? And we were led to believe this was all about the plumbers and all. 2000, 2000, Al Gore, that election was stolen. We did nothing. 2004, John, that was Florida. 2004, Ohio, right. John Kerry. We did nothing. 2008, Obama got elected promising everybody that he was a progressive. And in the 2010 midterms, we got crushed. So here's what we did. Well, not we. Here's what the Democratic Party did. Now, they, they pretty much just told you in 2016 that they get to pick and choose who gets to be the nominee. Okay? That was a federal court decision that they made. But Al Gore lost 2000 because he was a centrist. John Kerry lost 2004 because he was a centrist. Barack Obama won 2008, but we got slaughtered in 2010 because everybody figured out he wasn't a progressive. He was a, a, a neoliberal centrist. Yeah, and he Hillary, was perceived as being much more progressive than Hillary Clinton back in 2008. That was a big part of his appeal and why he won that nomination. All you got to know, brother, is everything. All you got to know is everything is showbiz. I mean, Barack Obama. You, you're aware of this quote. He bragged about how he was getting pretty good at killing people with drone strikes. You know, so all of this stuff is the same. And until we realize, and you know, people need to go see the Great Hack. They need to follow the five-part series on uh, on Cambridge Analytica, and what is what information what domestic surveillance is the great the hack just to back up is that that movie on netflix i'm actually in the middle of watching that right now i know there was a netflix documentary on cambridge analytica as well that was released i think within the past year yes it's called yeah. the great hack and it's yep. up for a an oscar nomination for docu best documentary mm -hmm. film um there's another film right now that i wish people would watch so everybody get a pencil or a pen the film is called the battle for haditha it was made in 2008, and it was about uh, an incident in Iraq where a squad of Humvees was hit by an IED, and an uh, American soldier lost his life and two were seriously injured. What happened in response to that IED attack is that the soldiers responded with a force that killed between 30 and 40 innocent civilians, including many, many women and children. Um, they were under direct orders to kill everything that moved as a result of that. Yikes, that and is not good. Hey, Mark, this... we're going to have to wrap it up because we are at the end of the show. Do appreciate the phone call, and we'll uh, talk to you coming up uh, another day here on the program. And, yeah, just uh, expand on what Mark was saying as well. Oh, there goes the mic there. I love that when the phone interferes. Kind of sound like R2-D2 for a second. But, yeah, expanding on kind of what Mark was talking about, what actually happens when you do catch someone that has been hacking the elections and has actually been hacking these voting machines. Kind of reminds me of one of those things, uh, what happens when the dog actually catches the car? What do you do with it? I'm not optimistic that we would actually <laughs> have a willingness to actually prosecute someone who was caught hacking an actual voting machine during an election just because that would shatter everyone's confidence in the election system. All right, we'll have to leave it there. I'll talk to you back on Monday with a live show. Thanks for listening.